This is the Local Hearted Podcast, episode number 22, with pastel artist Karen Chambers. Welcome to the Local Hearted Podcast. I'm Meredith Adler, and I am your host. Join me as we get to know the people who create the wide variety of art in Asheville and in the mountain counties of Western North Carolina. We'll also talk with some of the people who create opportunities for our local artists and help them shine. Hi, this is Meredith, and I am the host of the Local Hearted Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. My guest today is Karen Chambers, a pastel artist working out of a studio in Candler, North Carolina, and in the great outdoors. As you will hear, she enjoys plein air painting. Karen is one of the founding members of the local Appalachian Pastel Society. In this episode, Karen talks about why she loves the medium of pastel, how she has implemented a style change in her painting, and all about being a competition artist. And we also talk about serving as a judge for art competitions, as Karen has experience doing that. Karen's mother is an artist, and Karen shares how she was influenced by her mother's art. This is probably the second interview I did for the Local Hearted podcast. And it was supposed to be part of the launch of the show, but Karen had a problem with her website. And because there is a tip in here for artists and really all business owners, Karen has graciously agreed to let me share about the problem. What happened was I was working on the show notes for Karen's interview and went to her website to do some fact checking. And lo and behold, there was no website. When I contacted Karen, she did not know her site was down, so she set off to investigate. It turned out that the person who had built and maintained her site for years had a medical problem and had let the site go. He was a friend of hers who had moved away from this area. So here's where the tip comes in. Because the accounts for both the web hosting and her custom URL were in the name of her webmaster, he held the accounts and the passwords, and Karen didn't even know who the hosting companies were. So here's our tip. Own your own website. Own your own website, unless your webmaster is your sister, and possibly even if she is. Have the account for your website be in your name. You hold the administrative password. If you have a custom URL, you should be the one who holds the account registering the URL, so you will be the one to renew the URL when it comes due. Karen also wants to point out to everyone, if you have a webmaster... Stay in touch with them, she thinks, at least monthly, so you can know what's going on with your own site. Because the saga continued, Karen thought she had the above issue straightened out and had someone else start building her site. He started to build the site on WordPress, but never completed it, and it seemed like it had more bells and whistles than Karen really needed. She didn't know how to use the site, and admittedly, she did not contact him for instruction. 
But since she did have the password to this one, and since I have some familiarity with WordPress, I was able to simplify the site for her into something she thought she could manage herself. And the cycle repeated again. We were going to release her show. I went to look at her site, the one I had built, and it was gone. So although Karen thought she owned the website and the URL, she actually did not. Now it has been over a year since we did this interview and Karen and I have decided to release it for this episode. Karen will eventually have a website and I will add a link for her site to the show notes when it is available. So be sure to check them out at localhearted.com. It was an interesting experience for me to re-listen to this interview after so much time. Like I said, it was my second interview. Since doing so many more of these conversations, I hear things in this interview I would handle differently now. It might be comparable to looking at one of your earlier paintings and thinking, hmm. Anyhow, I want to thank Karen Chambers for being such a good sport as one of my first interviewees and also for letting me talk about her website woes. And now I am very happy to present to you Karen Chambers. Karen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about art and how I feel about it. And we are sitting in the studio of Karen Chambers, surrounded by her beautiful paintings. And I've had a tour and got to see so much of her work that I had never seen before. And it has been wonderful. And the drive up here, uh, the studio is in Candler and... The drive up here was just amazing, and I can see where a lot of Karen's inspiration comes from. So we are going to talk about your art today. Okay. So I could describe your art, but I would be really interested in having you describe it. Well, let me start from the beginning. My mother kept me in 96 Crayolas from the time I was little bitty. Oh. So color was my influence on my whole life different colors combined and doing things together. And she and I have painted together since my daughter was 16 on location. I've painted forever on location. I'd rather paint outside because you see more color than a camera can see. So you, you get the feel, the warmth of the place and the comfort. Uh, if the bugs are bothering you, it'll show up in your painting. So that's where my influence came from is my mother in the outdoors. Uh-huh. So you you painted with your mom, and your mom is also an artist. Yes. Mm -hmm. My mother was a professional artist from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, but she started painting when she was 15 and her girlfriends, and she went out and painted watercolors. Uh -huh. So she's very talented. And will you tell us her name? Her name is Lorraine King. Okay. And she has paintings coming out her ears like most artists do. <laughs> <laughs> and I painted in watercolor, and... I was standing on location with my mother, and she looked at me and said, you have struggled long enough with your watercolor. I've got my pastels with me. Why don't you try my pastels? And I stood there, and I was painting, had painting about three-fourths done, and somebody drove up behind me and said, do you sell your paintings? And I thought, okay, ah. pastels is the medium. Ah. So I have been in it ever since, and I love it. Sorry. I love it dearly. You really took to them right away, and the results showed right mm -hmm. away, it sounds like. Yes, it did, which is, I did in high school, but well, actually middle school, seventh grade, I did a pastel painting of uh, zellias in a small pot, 
and it went to the Red Cross International Show. Ah. So I, I really did used to love them. Yeah. So I, I want to ask, your mom was an influence because she was an artist, and she started you on pastels, obviously, and took you out painting. Did she literally teach you, or did you learn Most kids don't her? like to learn from their parent, okay. <laughs> to be honest. Right. Uh, so... She influenced me by her own artwork and how everything looked. And she would occasionally say guidance things like, you might try this there, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Uh, she didn't believe in touching paintings physically. She said a teacher should never touch a student's painting, at least not without permission. And so, um, and then I found out when I taught at AB Tech, I realized that I had been teaching other people since I was six. And I love teaching pastel painting, especially, or drawing uh, to other artists or other people who wish to learn. And what do you teach when you teach pastel? I teach color application. I, I'm into, well, I'm into composition and color because of the composition and off, the student will never feel comfortable in the final result. It will never quite look like what they want. But I don't teach detail. I'm not a detail-oriented person because sometimes less detail is more important. The mind's eye will put the detail in. You do not have to have it painted in every stroke, every line. I've noticed I love looking at people's fine work. But then when I look at it, I say, okay, it's really nice. And then I don't go back to it. Mm. And I find... If it's something, leaves something, you wander around in the painting when you have to think about it, mm -hmm. when it's not every detail put out. So I teach people how to simplify their paintings nice. as well as how to apply one color on top of another to give a glow to their painting. Nice. Lucky students. So you're teaching all different levels? Or yes, I teach all different levels. Okay. Um, it's, I don't know, it's hard to describe. Being a teacher teaches you as much as they learn because it stretches you. You have to try new methods because there's going to be the advanced student that wants to say, what if you do this? And you say, well, let's try it. I just do it in front of them. I, I've never done it before. I said, well, let's see what happens. And we'll go on and do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, you get wonderful happy accidents that you, you couldn't paint if you wanted to. You could not put them in. They, it, certain things, the colors commingle and do it themselves. Well, and it's like using a liquid and letting it run down the pastel painting. It picks up some of the pigment, and that'll run down with it and be deposited in little pockets uh -huh. along the run. Uh -huh. So it's, it's uh, different. Or you can move all the color underneath, let it dry, and then paint on top of it. And you have this underpainting of all sorts of colors. Mm -hmm. And so there's this a lot you can do with it. Sounds like you do a lot of creative application with those pastels. I, I try. Yeah. I try. Yeah. And where are you teaching now? Can you currently? Describe? I'm. I'm not teaching. Uh, I. We have a home-based business, which means I don't have a whole lot of time to teach. Ah, okay. And that's why I, you know, if someone expresses an interest, by all means, I'll find a day a week <laughs> to mm -hmm. teach mm -hmm. or a workshop. And I may be starting to reschedule a workshop. Uh, I used, used to like to have one once a year in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. I have a house we rent on the beach. Mm -hmm. We all paint together. We all eat together. They get instruction, room and board, and uh, just fun. And if somebody is interested and wants to 
re-inspire you mm -hmm. <laughs> to do another one of those, how can they get a hold of you? They can get a hold of me through either Karen Paints, K-A-R-E-N-P-A-I-N-T-S at hotmail.com. Uh -huh. Okay. And um, can you tell us about some of the things your students have done, gone on to do? I have, well, our pastel society was started by myself and 12 of my students. Oh. We started the pastel society back in 2006. Uh -huh. uh, we'd all discussed it in class. We really need one in our area. So I said, okay. And I set up a place, meeting time, and we got started then. Uh, some of them have gone on to be in major national shows, mm -hmm. international shows, uh, the International Association Pastel Society shows, the Pastel Society of America shows. And these are my students. And, it, you know, it's only been, what, um, well, now it's been 10 years. But uh, it was really fun to see them get up there and go for it and really start expanding their knowledge. I love to see them see my students succeed. Yeah, you do have some very accomplished students. <laughs> I didn't realize that was your class that had yeah. started the Pastel Society. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can you mention what we're talking about, the Pastel Society? Uh, the Appalachian Pastel Society in America, the, there are different mediums. There's watercolor society, there's uh, wet media societies, and then there's a pastel society, which is for soft pastels only, not oil pastels. Oil pastels are more oil paint in a stick. And so we have those. We have, uh, I can't remember when the International Association Pastel Societies was started, but it was started to give all the individual ones in the different states a place to get together mm -hmm. and to compete among themselves and to learn from other artists and spread the knowledge and this sort of stuff. So it was really a great expansion to teach us things we might not otherwise know, even even who's who's a teacher and who's not, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, when we started this Pastel Society, we knew about these others, but we wanted one closer to home. Right now we're in western North Carolina, and the closest one was Atlanta, Georgia which is four and a half hours away. It was too far away. And the other one was four and a half hours in Raleigh, North Carolina. So those were the two closest ones. So we all decided we wanted to have one closer. And that's why we did this. And we started it with a show, our first show. That's how it started. We started out with 13 and went up to 25 in a month. And then it's stayed rather steady since then because this area has people who go down to Florida in the winter and come back in the summer. So it's, it's just a steady number. It's not 25, though, now. No, not 25. We're up to between 75 and 100. And we have national shows, member shows, and then we're also participating. The only state in the union so far that has three pastel societies, at the, and they also compete among themselves, and that is the North Carolina Statewide Pastel Show. And you got all these people that are published in books, in magazines, that are known and they're all in our groups, and they're ordinary people. And it's so much fun to have competition because it raises the bar for everybody else to learn. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's good for that reason. Yeah. And so tell us more about being a competition artist. What is, what is that like, and what do you... Competition, the, the reason people compete mm -hmm. is because it encourage, you're encouraging yourself to get better at what you do. And... You go into these things and you'd say, well, why'd they get picked? And then you find out why and said, 
oh, okay, it's like the jurors will normally tell you nowadays, you may handle maybe painting a familiar subject to everybody, but unless you handle it in a slightly different manner or a better job of it, you might not get in the show. They're looking for innovation, for your mind working beyond just painting what you see. They're asking you to give it an artistic touch, put yourself in your painting, not just like taking pencil and drawing it and copying it. It's more than that. So the competition encourages the artistic side of the artist, mm -hmm. not just the abilities. Mm -hmm. So that is very well stated. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So tell me more about how you choose what to enter and what it's like to enter. For people out there who might be considering entering a show but haven't done it yet. Well, entering takes a lot of intestinal fortitude because the first show you enter is going to be the most difficult. It will be because I was down in Atlanta with my mother and she had decided, it's time you showed. And I said, but I'm not ready. So she took me to a gallery in which was from the Atlanta Artist Center. They had a satellite gallery in which she sat and she said, I got to sit today and come with me and, you know, you can look around and see what's around. And I started looking what's on the walls and I looked in their bin and I said, I do better than that. She said, I tried to tell you. So that's what the budding artist who thinks they might be ready or they're close should remember. You're actually better than you think you are usually. So you need to try. Yes, the entry fee is expensive when you don't have much money, but if nobody sees your work, You'll never sell any just so you can buy more supplies and pay for your framing, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of us aren't into awards, except the advantage to an award of any sort, just getting into the show's an award, uh, is that you'll be recognized by your peers. You'll be recognized by the public as being someone who, I hate to say it, but is good. And mm -hmm. that gives you more confidence to expand your knowledge and keep trying. Mm -hmm. Okay, so entering shows is a way to get your work out there in front of your peers and in front of some jurors mm -hmm. who might be esteemed people. Yes. And it's a way to help you remain on the path of being as creative as you can. Mm -hmm. And improvement. And improvement. Okay. It could give you that knowledge of how to go one step further. One step at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes all it takes, including it might be even your framing. <laughs> oh, improving the framing? Yeah. You know, oh. you might find that your framing is what's blowing your painting. Oh. Now, pastel societies are pretty particular about framing usually, aren't they? Not as particular as, say, watercolor. Oh, okay. The watercolor society requires a certain kind of frame, a certain color, a certain everything, matching. Uh, we do allow for a lot more framing, but we recommend certain framing uh, so that your work will look better. And it's a little bit more cohesive in a, in a show. Uh, they do have to consider that, you know, when you get an oddball frame, it can blow a wall. So usually that painting will end up in a hole lump by itself. So uh -huh. they have to think about this. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay. Just because you like a frame doesn't mean it works on the painting. And the juror <laughs> is going to make sure it's yeah set. Off to the side, you're saying? Oh, usually. Well, actually, the hanging committee does that. Oh, okay. Okay. 
And then you mentioned entering into shows as a path towards selling. Can you、mm-hmm. talk more about that? Well, the entering into shows as a path towards selling is the case of you are getting your work out of your studio, out away from the everybody who knows you. To be honest, you're meeting new people, new people with new ideas. Some that say, "Gee, I really love what you're doing, and I want it." Not just I really love what you're doing, you know. So it's、um, it has its advantages, and usually those people who buy from a show are ones who are going to show off that work to their friends. So you gain more acceptance in the community,、uh-huh. not and, just an artist. And do you think that the people who buy at a show came to the show looking for a piece, or came to the show to see the they show? They do both. They do all all reasons, just to support the artist, to see the show. Some want to see what's happening in the、uh-huh. area. Some are artists who are looking to see. Gee, I don't know about this group. Let me see.、Uh-huh. You ha- and then you have, of course, the the、uh, ones you do buy, the sponsors and stuff like that. So, yeah, that it's, there's so many reasons for owning art, but it does enhance your life when it's on your wall and provides color to a room. And the shows that this society puts on are amazing. I've been to a number of them, and the Quality of work is just incredible, and、uh, like you said, to be accepted into one of these shows right、mm-hmm. there is an honor and a statement about your work. Now, to be ex- not be accepted in the show does not mean you're not good, because as an artist who has juried a show, the ones who are just thinking about it have to learn that yes, the artist. Hopefully, we'll always judge it first on composition, design, composition, color,、uh, and the handling of the medium before they let their personal preferences get in. That that if those things aren't there, the personal preferences, it, it's it's you're going to have some. You can't help it. There is no way to get what attracts you out of your mind.、Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you can try what you will. I've got one of the shows I juried. Yes, the top show ended up being a pastel, but I set it aside and I looked at all the others and I kept restudying and I'd look back over that. No, there's no way that has to be the top one, because there again, design, composition, and the placement of color and everything else. It just it worked. So、um, most jurors do do that, even if they have a preference. Now, if a juror works in a certain medium with a certain style. They usually are harder on their own style than they are on others. Say, if someone is an abstractionist, and people put in abstracts, they're going to be more difficult on the abstract artist than they will on the others. They'll still expect the same qual- level of quality in the non-abstracts of design, composition, and placement, and that sort of thing. But they will be more difficult.、Uh, someone who does floral arrangements, they will like them, but if they don't really work. They'll still be in the same boat as everybody else. It will not change, you know, their preferences. It's harder to make an impression on the juror when you're in their same、That's、style、right. or subject and matter, and when they're the top dog.、Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, right. So it sounds like when you were the juror, you tried to be impartial. You tried not to be partial towards the pastel. Yeah. What What else was it like? What? Tell well, me what we had.、Like. I had in there. We had a.、Um, We had photography. We had baskets. 
We had wall pottery. Oh. I had all things. This was down in South Carolina. I had to jury all this stuff as one unit. They were not separate categories, which made it a lot of fun, a real challenge. Yeah. It was a small show, but it's still, but there's 50, I think. And so it made it difficult. I had one that was, uh, when I looked at it at first, I thought, there's something being said here. And it was sort of a, I think it was a watercolor. But I saw barbed wire in the bottom, and I saw a fence with a figure behind it and all this. And I thought I was guessing what it was, but it was a political statement, and it was about Nazi Germany. It wasn't Anne Frank, but it was another girl that was behind the fence. And it was, I asked the artist afterwards, I said, that one really intrigued me. He said, I was afraid to put it in, thought nobody would accept it. I said, no, I felt compelled to put it in. Mm-hmm. And I said, then I had another one that was whimsical. It had a ostrich head looking straight at you on a red background. And I said, it was so much fun. I had to put it in. Uh-huh. It was really striking. I said, it wasn't a showstopper, but it was a fun one. Uh, and I had a photographer come up and say, gee, why'd they get it? And I didn't. So I had to go through and explain to him what was would have been better and probably would have gotten him up in top contention about his design elements he's used in there and where he'd placed things. So when the juror is willing to talk to yeah. the person who answered, mm-hmm. they can really learn a lot for oh, the yeah. next try. And you can really sweat a lot yeah. <laughs> with the answer. Right, right. That's a big responsibility. Yeah, it is. Because the point is, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. That's, that's counterproductive. And you want to help them see why. That you weren't being mean, you weren't saying, golly, that wasn't any good. You were actually saying, the reason why was this this element. This one over here was just that much better. Mm-hmm. And uh, But shows are difficult to jury. I juried the Swannanoa show last fall. And I think there were 75 in there. And they were all different painting mediums mm-hmm. and collage and that sort of stuff. And luckily, they did have categories. So I was lucky in that. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, oh, gee, it's nothing. Just a few paintings. It was more difficult than I expected. And we had some really fantastic work in there. We had uh, some prints. The collages were interesting. Uh, we had animal paintings. We had landscapes. We had pastel. We had watercolor. We had oil, you know, acrylic. We had everything. And it it was quite interesting. It was... Um, it teaches you a lot when you get mm-hmm. to juror. And I think it's an incredible honor to be asked to it is. be the juror for a show. And it speaks to your own work. And yeah. speaking of which, let's talk a little more about your work. <laughs> Let me have you describe your work and what your inspirations are and what you enjoy about it. Well, up until about 10 years ago, I did fairly strict impressionistic paintings. And what that means is... My impression of what I saw, it was not fine line detailed. It was not, you know, really detailed, but it was more detailed than what I'm where I'm headed right now. I mean, I'd have the limbs and some sticks on the trees and that sort of thing, or some grasses that showed in the marshes, this sort of thing. I paint South Carolina marshes. I paint North Carolina mountains, streams, uh, Europe, Southwest uh, America. And I'm finding out that what I'm looking at, when I started realizing, when I look at something that I want to paint and I pick it out, 
it is a shape, design, color, placement. All that is what I've got. It's more of an abstract. It's the shapes and design and color. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get that basic concept down mm -hmm. of what you're seeing, you can decide how far you want to go with it. You can take it on into realism and pastel. Mm -hmm. But you can also leave it as an abstract. So I'm doing less is more. You still sort of know what it is. I'm not taking out that element out of it. But it's letting people add to it what they want rather than telling them every detail. Mm -hmm. And I really love doing that. And I have a feeling I'm going to be teaching that in the next couple of years. But right now I'm still teaching people how to do what they do, their, how they design the thing or how they draw it, and how to improve by color placement, what they use where, when they use it, how they use it, and making their paintings make their own statement in their own words, but making it such a way that they say, I really like that. For the artist to be a part of mm -hmm. the work, how the work turns out. Mm -hmm. Sounds like that was an evolution for you. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it sounds like you're inspired by the natural world in various places, as well as the European. I graduated with the BS in biology in college. Uh, and my mother was pre-med, and my daddy was a naturalist, and my brother was a biologist. So we all enjoyed the out-of-doors and everything growing and blooming and smelling and all the little creatures down to the tiniest little whatever. Mm -hmm. And I still am curious about all this stuff. So I love drawing them, and that's fun. Doing them pastel, I can do it so much faster. And I, I am a, I guess a speed demon. <laughs> I like to do a outside painting. Well, for one, your lighting changes in two and a half hours, so you have a limit of how long you can paint on something. But I, I like getting what I'm feeling at the time in right then. And with pastels, not having to wait for it to dry, not having, you know, you can, you can erase it with a brush if you want to, or you can just add color on top. And what happens is the color underneath shines through, mm -hmm. and it gives you a vibrancy that you, you can't get with watercolor or oils or acrylics. Mm -hmm. You're going to make a lot of converts, people <laughs> listening to you. And it takes only 45 minutes to do a 13 by 18 painting. Ah. <laughs> That's the catch. You, know, you get it done, and it's just, it's fun. And it doesn't matter what other people think. It's what you think. Mm -hmm. I agree. It is fun. It really is yeah. a very fun medium. Messy for me, but yeah. very fun. Very, very fun. So your mother was right, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She pointed me in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> and it's some place where I can disappear into. It's all my own. It is. Nobody else can tell me what to do. No, They can try, but they don't always succeed. But I can get up in my studio and I get to painting, and I get to singing inside. It releases all attention disappears. It is wonderful. And each time I come up, if I want music on, it's whatever's going to inspire me that day. It can be reggae one day. It can be Irish step dancing yeah. the next. It can be uh, symphonies another day. It can be anything. It can be fifties music. I you know or some other music. I said it just depends on what I feel like that day. And so, and it really affects your painting. It just Oh, you relax and you get happy. <laughs> Sounds like you're in your right place when you are painting. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. 
Is there anything we haven't covered that you would like to add about your work or your teaching? Um, my work, anybody's work, mm. it's better seen in person. Mm -hmm. The camera cannot do your work justice, no mm -hmm. matter, no matter, unless you want to pay bukus hundreds of dollars to get mm -hmm. someone to do it properly, mm -hmm. or get the right lighting and all this. It's just, it takes an expensive camera mm. to get all the subtle colors there in pastels, even in watercolor for sometimes. When you put a layer on that has a different, slightly different temp value, dot lightness and darkness, then it's hard to photograph. But um, the ph photographing your work, anything you do besides your actual painting, takes time away from your painting, which is what we all, all artists lament, that they have to spend time doing this other stuff mm -hmm. that they don't want to spend time doing. It, um, you go into galleries, trying to get in shows, show, shows, yes, trying to get in shows is just as bad uh, because it requires time on the computer. And you have to know what you're doing. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> one way to do it. But uh, so it's uh, <laughs> Karen is sitting on her telephone. <laughs> <laughs> I silenced it. <laughs> yes. But it's uh, the more you know, going to classes and workshops is just as important for the accomplished artist as it is for the beginner, because. What it does is it re-inspires you. Some artists get so good at one style that they get stuck in it. And if they take a workshop, sometimes that new, that artist, no matter who it is, can give them one little change that makes them go further. Uh, in fact, actually what's prompted me towards this less is more area now is I was in a gallery in Pendleton, South Carolina. I tried it at a co-op. But I was in there and I had this one artist who's a budding artist, a new one, very talented in abstract, beautiful abstracts. And she wasn't sure of herself. So I did some teaching and mentoring over there, you know, with that. Well, she inspired me to go on and just do it. Mm. Do what I wanted to do. Try this. What have I got to lose? In pastel, you don't lose your paper. You can wipe it off. You can sometimes if you have the right paper, you can even wash it off. And let it dry and do it. Do another one. Or you brush off what's underneath and you put a painting on top and you get neat stuff from that. You got another underpainting. So there's lots of things to do. You don't wait. You don't have to worry about wasting paper. In watercolor, you can only take so much off. So you're stuck with the staining stuff, pigments on it. Uh, oils and stuff, yes, you can scrape it off of them, but pastels are dry. <laughs> I right. love the dryness. But so little did she know she was inspiring me to break loose from my mold and try something new. And I am having a ball. Instead of 45 minutes to finish a painting, it can take me a day. But I'm having fun while I'm doing it. I'm not laboring over it. I'm having fun. Before I labored over it, if I took longer than two and a half hours at anything. Because your extra time, you're not spending adding details. No, I'm learning. My mind is working and learning. And that's what makes it fun. And how did that come about? How did she inspire you to do that? Just by looking at her stuff and studying her placement of color and how she simplified her designs and what she did where. And I said, that's really what I want to do. I don't want to be detail oriented. That's an evolution a lot of artists make. They go from, you know, very yeah. realistic to wanting to be looser to learning yeah. how to paint looser 
And then a lot do seem to make that next step into yeah. the abstract. Well, a lot of my students are colored pencil artists who want to loosen up. Now, if you've ever done colored pencil, oh, that is tight. <laughs> it is hours upon hours of strokes, and it looks great. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I can use the side of a pastel and accomplish most of that in one-tenth the time. Right. And that's the way I work. I'm, There's I'm your sky hyper. as yeah. opposed to the little lines <laughs> you are making with that little pencil point. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of... Like I said, this is a medium of choice for those who are hyper, to be honest. The ones who want instant <laughs> gratification. Okay. It's instant gratification. You can put it down, you put down a color, and if you like it, you leave it. If you don't, you go over it with something else. You don't have to, you don't have to erase anything. You don't have to change anything. And you do that. I did a demo for the Art League of Henderson County one night, and I had a grayish sanded paper, um, Art Spectrum Color Fix, which is a specific paper. It has acrylic ground, so it's kind of smooth. It's not as coarse as sanded paper. And they looked at it and said, well, how does that stuff work? We've never seen it. So I took hot pink and went straight down the center of it with hot pink. Now, the photograph I was painting from was going to be blues and browns and whites. And everybody gasped. And I said, <laughs> no problem. And I painted over it and did a finished painting. And I... And it came out great. So I said, you know, don't be so tight about it. You don't have to worry about this one. This is not people fret and worry because of the way we were taught in schools. Mm -hmm. We were taught to use white paper only. White paper blows pastel because what happens if you want a soft color like a, a light yellow, a light pink, a light, any light color, it disappears into the paper. Huh. If you use a darker paper, that's going to stand out and sparkle in your face. It'll pop against yes. the dark, you're saying. And if and then I have them use the color that the paper, a color that's at least partially a complement to most of what the color is going to be on top. Use a reddish paper underneath things that have green. Uh, you know, use a uh, green paper under things that have like autumn colors. There's, there's all sorts of things, but I usually use a darker value rather than the same color value because it's easier to work. It gives you your dark values, which are hard to find in pastels. Ah, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. We will have some of Karen's um, beautiful work on her uh, podcast page. Mm -hmm. Despite her saying that you can't see them as well online as in person, which Still is true. Not at all. Uh, Karen is very good <laughs> at photographing her work. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Are we complete? Is yes. there anything else? No, I think that's it. Okay, thank you so much for being here and joining me today. Well, thank you for including me in your talk. Check out the show notes at localhearted.com to see examples of Karen's work. As talked about in the intro right now, localhearted.com is the only place online to see Karen's work. And we will put a link to her website when she has a new website built. Karen is also offering some of her paintings for sale on the Local Hearted site. So if you're interested in any of those, feel free to contact Karen or myself through the website. Thank you so much for listening. This is Meredith Adler signing off until next time for the Local Hearted podcast. And the podcast's theme music, Learning to Fly, is courtesy of and copyrighted by singer-songwriter Jamie Noter-Thomas. Yeah.